You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley titled Jesus and Palm Sunday from the series Growing Stronger. For more info, visit creekside.org. Okay, if you would turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21 and then kind of uh, get your finger wet slide over to Luke 19, and uh, we're going to look at two passages. And again, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Palm Sunday, but uh, I want to take a phrase that Jesus, about Jesus in here and use it to frame. I, w- I want to tell you about some of the things that we're doing, you're doing, you are a part of, and then also I want to update you just on my trip and tie it into some things that are really uh, just wonderful for, for our church. So... Matthew chapter 21, let's begin at verse 1. It says, when they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, and Jesus sent out two disciples, and he said to them, go into the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you should say that the Lord needs them, and immediately he will send them. Well, this took place so what was spoken through the prophet of Zechariah might be fulfilled. And uh, so this is a prophetic word that Jesus is fulfilling. Now, you have to understand that in doing these, it's not like Jesus had this checklist. Because there's too many, and I, I don't have time to unpack what that means, but over 300 prophecies that he fulfilled, there's no way in, in, that, a, that a man could do that. I mean, just sit here and check them off and go, i got to time it this way and time it that way. But this is a a prophetic thing that's taking place that Jesus is fulfilling. Verse 5, tell daughter Zion, see, your king is coming to you, gentle, mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the fowl of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. Verse 7, they brought the donkey and the colt, and they laid their robes on them, and they sat on them, and then a very large crowd spread their robes on the road, and others were cutting branches from the trees, spreading them on the ground. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed, they were shouting, even as the song that we were singing today, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest heaven. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was shaken, where they're shaken is uh, uh, Seo or Simo and and it's, it's the idea that there's this seismic. We get our word seismic from it. So there's kind of this seismic thing happen emotionally within these people. It's shaken the town. They're saying, who is this? And the crowds kept saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And so verse 12, it says that Jesus, they arrived and he went into the temple complex and he drove out all those who were buying and selling in the temple. He overturned the money changers' tables and the chairs of those selling doves. People were just using the temple for commerce. It'd be like if you came here and you walked in and all we're doing is selling trinkets and junk to make money for ourselves. And Jesus goes in, literally starts throwing tables over. And imagine the sounds and the sights of animals running around and, and money flipping and tables going everywhere and people getting out of the way. And Jesus said, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer. 
but you're making it a den of thieves. And then Jesus kind of gives us a picture of really what the temple is supposed to be about. And he says, and the blind and the lame came to him in the temple complex. And what does he do? It says that he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes said the wonders, saw the wonders that he did, and the children in the temple complex, they begin cheering, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant. And they said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? They're ticked because they're basically declaring, Lord, save now. They're making this declaration. They're, it's in that like children, the purity of their heart and their thinking and their mind. They see and understand who Jesus is, and it ticks off the religious leaders. Yes, Jesus told them, have you never read? You have prepared praise from the mouths of children and nursing infants. Then Jesus left them, and he went out of the city to Bethany, and he spent the night there. If you just skip over to Luke chapter 19, there's a little part of the story. They, they, they call it the synoptic gospels, which is Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're synoptic because they have a synopsis. They're similar in content. John is a lot different, doesn't have nearly as many of the same stories and uh, the chronology that the other three do. It's, it has a little bit different tone and focus. And this here story, Luke records, but Matthew doesn't. So in uh, Luke 19, verse 41, it says, Now as Jesus approached, he saw the city, and he wept over it. I want you to just really maybe underscore that in your thinking and even in your Bible. It says that Jesus saw the city. He's coming in, Mount of Olives. He's entering, coming to Jerusalem. And it says he just, he just began to weep over it. And he says, if you knew this day, what would that would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, hem you in on every side, and they will crush you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in you because you did not recognize the day of your visitation. He's talking about the overthrow of Jerusalem by the Romans in 70 AD and also the judgment probably that, uh, that we deal with in the end. That Jesus is coming here. This is a common people's pageantry. This is how they would have welcomed a king. They are recognizing at this point on Palm Sunday, Jesus is their king. He's coming. He's coming on this donkey. These people, if they knew scripture, they clearly recognize what was taking place here. And they're excited. There's this seismic energy that's taking place. And you know what they're thinking? Yes, the king has arrived. He's going to take over the Roman Empire. He's going to banish them, kick them out. We're not going to have to deal with the Roman soldiers, the Roman government, the centurions or the rulers or the oppressors. The oppressors. We're going to be able to go our own way, do our own thing, worship in our own way. He's going to take care of all the wrongs and establish this new kingdom. It's not going to happen that way. But Jesus comes in, he's riding this donkey. He's fulfilling 500-year-old prophecy from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, that the Savior would enter into Jerusalem. And those who knew the scriptures knew very well that Jesus was clearly announcing who he claimed to be. Very clearly, he's riding in on this donkey, which is a 
animal of peace. And the king would have wrote on there saying, I'm coming in peace. And we understand Jesus comes as the prince of peace. But he's claiming to be king. His intentions are clear. There's no mistaking what he's saying publicly now for the first time. It'd be like if you were working for a company and they were in the process, the, they were in the process of transitioning out the CEO. So they're preparing to announce the successor to the CEO. And in the middle of all this taking place, waiting for the announcement to come, waiting to hear who it would be, one day you show up driving the CEO's company car and you whiz into the CEO's parking spot. And then you carry up a box of stuff into the CEO's corner office. Your intentions would be very clear. Israel is experiencing the same thing. They're waiting for their new leader to arrive. And Jesus comes driving the Messiah's donkey, pulling into the Messiah's spot in history. Ezekiel 44 notes that the Lord would enter through the east gate and then soon after, it'd be sealed shut. Interesting that the east gate is sealed shut today. The old walled city of Jerusalem, it had eight gates. And the eastern gate alone is sealed. That's a prophecy out of Ezekiel 44. The world would call that an amazing coincidence. I'd probably say it's a God incidence where we see that this prophetic intonation coming to pass. So Jesus is not only destroyed, driving the Messiah's car, he's pulling into a spot. And when the crowd sees this, it's not surprising that they just get really excited. And they just get jacked up about what's going to happen. That Jesus is literally announcing to everyone now, I am the king of the Jews. I am the one that you have been waiting for. And so they respond by laying out their cloaks and they cut palm branches and branches and set them on the road. And this was a traditional way to inaugurate a king. And then they begin to shout out, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord, save now. The Lord save us in this political structure from the Roman Empire. It's kind of ironic that they begin to say these words from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, because Psalm 118 is what we would call a prophetic or a messianic psalm. Psalm means song. So this was a song that they were singing, and they're speaking about, singing about this coming king. But in this same psalm, they miss this part, that it says that the very cornerstone, speaking of Jesus again prophetically, would be the one that the builders rejected. So this crowd, they're shouting praises and accolades to Jesus. But within just a number of hours, a couple of days, their tone will change and they'll completely reject the stone, Jesus, the rock of ages. And it says that he will then become the cornerstone of a whole new building. What building is that? It's the building of the church, the cornerstone of the church. Oh, not a building like this, not a temple but he becomes the cornerstone of people's lives, people like you and people like me because of his redemption that we see coming forth at Easter, Good Friday leading to Easter. So now he's building this temple that is not in a building, but it's, it's in me, it's in his church. And if you'll notice his arrival, I want to talk a little bit about this because have you notice the rhetoric of candidates today? the promises that they're all making, what they're going to do, what's going to happen if they get voted in. 
I've been voting. My first time I voted was in 1976 in a local and a presidential election, and I've literally been committed to doing that ever since. I believe in elections. I believe that all of us should be involved in them. They're important, but I want to remind us, realize they have less influence over making things a lot better in your life than what they want you to believe in the midst of all their grandiose promises. See, the tendency for most of them, as we know, if you've been around for a while, is that they will overpromise and underperform. I wish for once we would have somebody that would underpromise and overperform. Right? But hear me, in Jesus' day, in Jesus' day, you know why they're so excited? Because I said it earlier, they're looking for a political solution to their problems. They're believing that Jesus is going to be the conquering Messiah that's going to bring in this new kingdom, this new earthly kingdom that's going to remove all the oppressive forces of the Roman government in their lives. There's this expectation of a worldly kingdom. I don't talk a lot about politics, but I said the uh, other parts to let you know I'm very committed to them. I mean, I think they're important. And um, I just come back, as many of you know, uh, from Cuba. It's a communist country. And, and I want to say a couple of things, because as you see here, the people in Cuba are still under this kind of oppressive communist rule. And God's people here, they're under this oppressive rule of the Roman government, and they, they wanted to be free from it. Now, here are a couple of things I want to say. I encourage everyone to be invested in the voting and political process, to take the responsibility and privilege of citizenship very seriously. This is a great and incredible country. And if you don't believe me and you want to ever really complain, don't come to me. Just go to another country. Okay? This is, we, we, we have it so good here. But hear me, never be misled or misguided or lose sight of the truth that no political structure, no country, no politician is the answer to the ills of your life or our society. They help. They can make some differences, but they are not the answer. It is always about the changing of a heart that will ultimately change a community. And that's what Jesus said, i got to come first for that. i got to change up, i got to set up this kingdom that's within. Luke chapter 17, verse 21, so that people know that there's a kingdom within that starts with the presence and the power and the spirit of God. And that's what's ultimately going to bring change from without. I mean, from within to without. But so many of us look for a political system to do that. I want to be really careful how I say this, but I want to say it. And probably I say it more to our young people. Be very aware of any politician or political system that promises a lot for little or nothing. It sounds really good. But go to Cuba. Go to other countries. That's the first time I've been in a communist country. The revolution under Fidel Castro was in 1959. He promised to take care of his people. That country has not moved forward since 1959. He promised a lot. I'll take care of you. This new system of government will take care of you. It's a broken system with people living with little motivation for a better life 
because of government controls and constraints. Oh, they provide, but not much. I think one of the greatest things that I saw there, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see the difference in the joy between those who follow Christ and those who don't. It's obvious. See, Jesus didn't come to make things right. He came to make us right with the Heavenly Father through himself. Jesus came to establish a new order in the hearts of humanity because that's how the world's going to change. And not by a political system but by an inward revolution of the heart that gets worked out in everyday life, that everything that we do, loved ones, everywhere we go, we get to be a part of that kingdom revolution wherever we are, starting in our families, into our communities, at the workplace. See, these people missed Jesus because they focused on what they wanted from him. They wanted their agenda instead of what he was bringing to them based on his agenda, and they totally missed it. See, our devotion, friends, is always to a person, Jesus Christ. It is not to a kingdom or a manifestation thereof or some kind of political system. So I want you to see in verse 14, Jesus' love sees the individual. I love that. See, the love of Jesus can see through the crowd. He's been surrounded by these crowds. The hosannas have gone out. He comes in and, and he rides through them, surrounded by them and he goes to the temple and what does he do? He sees the needs of people. That's what he does today. We have wonderful music here. There's other things that happen. We have teaching and there's things that happen in the midst of this. And in a crowd this size, sometimes it's easy to forget that Jesus is here. Revelation 2 and 3 talks about how Jesus walks among the churches. He walks among this church. He's, his presence is here today. He's omnipresent. And sometimes you can leave here and think, oh boy, the music was so good. I just, oh. And, and that's good. It's good. Or sometimes once in a great while, maybe the preaching was all right. And you know, and you leave and go, wow, that, that really ministered to me. But I want you to know, it's never, it's never about those things totally. It's always because the spirit of Jesus is here. And in the midst of the 200 and so people here today, guess what? Wherever you are, whoever you are, he sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And never forget that. That he'll pick you out of this crowd in a heartbeat. And he'll begin to speak to you. And he'll begin to minister to you wherever you have been. Just happened last service. I had a gal come up and she just said, Pastor, I just have I've been here a couple times and I fell off the wagon recently. She just said, You know what you shared today? And I'm and, and I mean I'm talking really practically. She just goes, You know, I just I just want to get back with Jesus. And I got to pray for her. And I listen, it's nothing special, but Jesus. At work, and he picks you out of the crowd. And see, that's what a that's what a room like this is about. It's not about the church. It's not about what we do. It's that Jesus is here, and Jesus says this: wherever I am, I'm going to make it possible for the spiritual blind to see. I'm going to make it possible for those that are lame and they're broken and they're hurting. I'm going to grab them out of the crowd, and I'm going to touch them. And I never want you to forget that, loved ones. 
Second thing I want you to see was in Luke 19. It says Jesus comes riding into the city of Jerusalem and it says he weeps. The people, they literally don't understand the magnitude of what's taking place because their agenda is so important that they miss the agenda of who Jesus is and what he's bringing. It was their day. It was their entrance to redemption as he gets ready to die on the cross for them, but they missed it because they were so focused on the external and what they wanted, which was a political king. But Jesus says, no, I'm coming as the suffering Messiah to die for the sins of the world. For you, for them, for me. Never forget, loved ones, Jesus' heart is for the cities of the world then, through history, and today. Jesus is the ultimate man's man. Don't you just kind of hate sometimes the way movies make them out? I mean, you know, kind of this, this effeminate, long, flowing hair, pale-faced, looking out into glory, but he is a man's man. I mean, how many guys do you know are going to walk into a temple and just start turning guys' money over, shooing their animals, and say, listen, this is, get out. This is my place. Nobody questioned them. They just took off. They scattered. So this man's man, he comes in, yet what does he do? On his way in, there's this compassionate heart that sees the city of Jerusalem, and he begins to cry over he says, you're missing it. And that's, and that's what I want you to see today, loved ones, is Jesus still sees cities. And we get to be his hand extended. Now, here's where I want to just do some very practical things. And I want to just talk to you about our city for a second and cities. Our city. And I want to show you some of the things that we're doing. This is oh, the things I'm going to be talking about now come out of our harvest offering that you all, most of you are invested in and we give in every year. We receive it uh, before Thanksgiving. But one of the things that we do, as you'll see, is we, uh, <clears throat> we sponsored three Little League teams this year. So you see here the Pirates and, you know, we've got, we've got people that coach here. Let me just say this. If, if your kid's playing and I didn't get a picture of them or you're coaching and I didn't get a picture of you, forgive me. I was, this was parade day, and I'm, it's pouring down, and I'm trying to get everybody's picture that I see, and, and, you know, I'm running out in the middle of the street, and so if I forgot you, forgive me, but um, some of these people saw me and waved, and so I could get them, but see, we, were, we sponsored three different teams, and we got people in our church, I'm so proud of them, they go out there, and they spend time with the kids, and uh, here's my little friend, they just happened to see Marin uh, and her Gator Girl teammates, so I went out there and got a picture, we're not sponsoring that team, but... Uh, we got Damon New, he's playing for the Rangers, tracked him down. And, uh, but see, God uses these, uh, Joel Bartke and his daughter, Bria. We, 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 we do these because we want people to know we're invested in our community. And, and, and the interesting thing is, is we had, um, I'll, I'll say when I get to see games, so, but we just have all these teams and it's just a joy to be able to be a part of that. Uh, yesterday, we had sea games, and uh, one of these times that we decided, you know, let's take it to the park. Uh, oftentimes, we'll use the phrase, Creekside has left the building. And so we wanted to take it, so we took our sea games to Hidden Lakes Park. Uh, and so they had, I think, like over 150 people there yesterday. And uh, we just went there and did some games. And the idea was really to develop it around families, not just the kids. 
Um, we have a you know, good children's program, good youth ministry. But one of the things that I'm challenging our staff in is I want to see, I don't want to just see siloed things for kids and youth. I want to see family ministry to the parents of youth and to the parents of children. And we begin to amalgamate them and to bring them together so it isn't just so that we're reaching families, not just the kids. So this becomes part of that, that process. And you'll see the next slide then as we have, uh, okay, my bad. Um, but here, here's what I want you to see about this, this whole family thing. Um, you know what's really cool is we do all of these things at Creekside. And while we, we do it to influence our community. But the interesting thing is, is people know our names. We had this tragic uh, passing of just this beautiful young lady. Um, you probably saw her. She used to sit at this table here and just really happy and and just loved coming to Creekside. And she uh, died this past week tragically and had the funeral yesterday for her. And uh, some of the people there said, oh, you know, we've heard about this church. We want to come visit. People at Sea Games, oh, yeah, we've heard of Creekside. We're not doing it just to get our name out there. We're doing it to influence. But you know what? We do do it so that when people go, ah, church. Oh, what have you, oh, I've heard of Creekside. Maybe, just maybe, They'll come because of our influence. Why? Because we love our city. You love our city. We're committed to and investing in our city and our families. See the crab feed. Ten years over for over ten years, this church is now. Our, we've raised over hundred and sixty-six thousand dollars that's been donated to the Martinez Public Schools. That's amazing. We don't ask for anything. We don't get anything. We don't tell them what to do with it. We just say, here, use this however you feel led to what you have needs for. And I believe we don't have a final figure, but it looks like we're going to be 20-plus thousand this year from the crab feed in February. So just another incredible job. And I just want to say thank you to all those people that served at Sea Games yesterday and that serve at our crab feed. Just an incredible blessing of what you do. So thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. But Jesus also talked about, that, that's our city, and those are just a few of the things that we're doing. You know, we have our aftermath, and we do other things. But I want to talk about world cities for a minute. Um, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said, go therefore into all the nations. And when he says go, what he's really saying is, it's almost as if he's saying, along the way of your life, hit these nations. Well, okay, you say, well, I don't have any opportunity to go to another nation. Okay, what he's saying is, is your nation becomes wherever you are. While you're going, while you're living your life, be an influence for me. But we also want to make sure that we're going into the nations as a church, and we are doing that. A few months ago, I, I uh, emailed our missions director, who I, he was leading our team into a missions board, uh, into Cuba. But a few months ago, I asked him, are there any current needs in missions of open Bible that we can help with? So he sent me a list of six projects that totaled $31,000 and sent them to me. Then I said, okay, Vince, would you just prioritize these for me and give me a little synopsis of them? So he sent that back. Well, I presented it to our council, our church council. We were talking about it one night and we're sitting there going over it. What can we do? What should we do? What do we, you know? And the consensus was this. Let's do them all. There were six of them. We said, let's, let's, you know what? 31,000, let's do it all. 
And so just out of our harvest offering, we, we did it. So let me give you a couple of things. As a matter of fact, Vince, who I was with the last uh, nine days, he wanted me to send his greetings to you and say thank you so much for your hearts to give and take care. I mean, just to take care of these projects. So the first one is uh, this church in uh, Nogales, Mexico. I was there two years ago for our board meetings. We're now going to different places around the world. And uh, uh, two years ago, there was uh, just the property that this church had purchased. Uh, there was nothing there. Um, they had just marked off. They said, okay, this is where we're going to build our new sanctuary. This is the largest open Bible church in Mexico. Incredibly gifted young leader, uh, probably in his late 30s, early 40s. And uh, they have uh, eight or 900 people. And uh, this, this little plot here sits up on a hill. So it would just be this incredible place for them to build. So we sent them $10,000 to be able to finish this building that they're building right now. Uh, there's some other key projects in, in, in Liberia, Africa, that he had mentioned. There's three churches they had in Liberia, this great civil war. Uh, sidebar, uh, one of the reasons this is kind of exciting for me, I've told this story before, but when I was a teenager, I just graduated from high school. Um, I was about six months graduated from high school. And there was these missionaries that just took a real liking to me from Liberia. They were home on furlough and... Uh, Ron and Jereen Snyder, I was helping them pack these 50-gallon barrels to go back to Liberia. And I'm helping them pack. And this guy, he'd get up at 5 in the morning, play basketball with me, and come to my games when I was in high school. And so we're packing these things, and all of a sudden, they look at me, and they go, you're going to be in Bible college in a year. <laughs> I thought to myself, I didn't say it. I said, Come, you're crazy. Go eat a bag of worms. I ain't going to Bible college. I know what I'm going to do. Well, just a little over a year later, I was in Bible college. And so it was just kind of cool that we got to be a part of this because this is the mission field that they were on in Liberia. Well, they've had some major unrest and political civil wars going on there, and a lot of churches were destroyed or damaged greatly. So here's we, we helped out three churches, one in Wazan, Open Bible, uh, Open Bible Church, we sent them $5,900. Uh, to the Yapa Open Bible Church, we sent 6000 And to the Agape Open Bible Church, we sent 7000 I know some of you are money people, and you're thinking, well, how do we know that money? It gets there because it goes through our missions department and through our missions director. So we, we helping, we've helped to rebuild, rebuilding these churches uh, in Liberia. We are also supporting 20 pastors in India this year. For $8,000. If you notice, this is to help train them for a year and get them ready. I have pictures of them and uh, information on them that I just received while I was gone. And um, in India, it's one of the most densely populated areas in the world. Obviously, strong Muslim, totally Muslim influence. And a very small percentage of Christianity. But they're making inroads there. So we're involved with this group called Serve India. And we're supporting 20 pastors at $8,000 uh, total for the next year to help them build small churches in these villages in an area where there's high, high uh, persecution of Christians. And so we're just going to be praying for them and asking God to multiply that. Uh, Bob and Nancy Scott missionaries, you've, you've met them before over in Dubai, who really are ministers and missionaries to the missionaries and to help them. Uh, we're supporting them at $5,000, $6,000 this year as well. So you can see right there, it's probably about $40,000 of the harvest offering now. If you go to Cuba, 
I want to talk to you about my trip to Cuba for a few minutes. It, it's really, we have an opportunity, I believe, as much as ever, to touch a nation with the gospel. Uh, Cuba is not that big of a nation. It's, it's fairly small compared to most nations. But it's still under communist rule. But there's some really good signs of things opening up. Our, our missions director was there in 2010, and he said he can already see significant di- uh, uh, differences under the rule of Raul Castro. And in the last six years, some changes and loosening up of some things. I was talking to a young gal uh, coming out of Cuba. She was sitting next to me on a plane. And... Um, it found out that she's actually there, and she's working with the government in terms of developing and bringing in technology, which they have very little now, if you know. There's no Facebook. There's no media, really major media outside uh, that they don't control or want you to know about. There's no Facebook or anything like that. But she's working now with the government. So there's things that are changing. I mean, you know, President Obama is going to be there uh, today. For a couple of days, and then you've got Pope Francis who's coming at the end of the month, and then the Rolling Stones, what's next? I mean, you know, um, but things are changing there, and, uh, and, it's, and it's pretty amazing to see it and to be, to be able to be a part of it, but there's still great poverty. Our team had a religious visa, so here we landed in Havana late at night, and, and we came in, so we didn't really see, didn't see much. Um, because we actually stayed about 30 miles, uh, 30 minutes south of Havana, so I didn't see much of it going in. But it's very telling, the control that the government has over the people and over the image. This is a view from my room here. So you can see that it's kind of hard to tell, but it's just not real nice. Uh, And uh, there's still just incredible poverty around this area. Uh, Havana, we went there the day before we left just kind of as a sightseeing thing. So we went into the, the really nice area of Havana, the uh, kind of this court area and uh, where we just walked around and it was, it was very nice. What's interesting is uh, while the rest of everything outside of Havana probably within about 10 minutes is run down and a lot of garbage and dirt and everything, they were really upgrading, cleaning up, working on the streets um, because I think the, the president... Obama is coming and the Pope, so they're fixing everything up in Havana. It looks really good. But you get outside of that. You go to the stores. Uh, first of all, in the town that we were in, this here is in front of our hotel. Uh, we, we walked the streets, and there's very, very few stores. There was one little market that had fruit in it. Uh, close to Havana, we went into a couple of stores, grocery stores, and it was not unusual to see a lot of shelves empty. They had goods there, some stuff. But a lot of Havana people can't go there. We actually were in parts of towns because of our religious visa that most tourists would not go in. They keep the tourists more on the north side of Havana where all the nice hotels and uh, you go into stores there that Cubans cannot go in because it's, it's filled with everything that a tourist would want. But it's interesting. They don't take care of their own people. They only give them what they want. The average monthly income of a Cuban is $20 a month. Their food is, is, is very limited. They're given, I, I, didn't, I forgot to send a picture, but I took pictures of their, of their kind of their food coupons, their rations when they go in and get their beans and their rice. And this is one of the big concerns of Cuban people is that they will have enough food for their family to get through each month. Their food staples are simply rice and beans with a little pork or chicken, sometimes fish. That's basically what we ate as well because we're in this little town um, 
about 25, 30 minutes away from the church that we went to. It's interesting, there's a lot of incredible religious freedom with the largest group in Cuba actually being Christian. It's one of those few places where Catholicism isn't the largest religion. And you can see just this greater hope and this greater spirit in all of the Christians there. They're open to the gospel and the opportunities, I believe, are so great. I am convinced with the great leadership that we have there And I'm talking about these are high-capacity leaders that think on this wonderful, wonderful level that uh, unfortunately too many American pastors don't even think on. They're doing things there that we're working with our American pastors in Open Bible and other churches to do. And I have great belief that we work with them. We could literally influence a whole nation because of what they have going there. Now, if you see these next pictures here, you'll see this is their uh, incredible worship team. They're probably ages 17 to 23, and uh, I I had some video clips, so I just didn't have time to show them today, but um, just an incredible worship team. I mean, young people, they have young dancers that are teenagers. Uh, This worship leader does a great job, and uh, I, I... want to get that picture because he's got these big arms, big guns. He's kind of like Kyle Giffen, you know. He's just uh, <laughs> built. And I thought, wow, cool. But, um, but really gifted teams. And what I love about this church, this is where we had our convention. It's one of, I think, uh, only one of the four open Bible churches that actually has a church building. I'll talk about it in a minute. The rest of them have home churches. But this church here, I'll show you another picture of it in a minute. Uh, but this is where we met and uh, just incredibly gifted people. What I love about this church is they're kind of like Creekside. They have a heart to plant churches, but they have this wonderful, delightful, delicious blend of younger and older people who work and serve so well together. They complement. They don't compete. They share the same vision and mission of simply this, reaching people who are far from Christ. And that becomes the driving force. It is more important to them than any personal preferences of music or seating or the things that they do. And that's what I love about our church. We have this delightful blend of young and mid-old. And we're not focused on our own little, we want this and we want that. We just want to reach people for Christ. And that's the power that I see in that church as well. You'll see this gal on the right, I, uh, sweet, sweet lady. Uh, <clears throat> I noticed her in the opening morning. We had the, the, the convention start in the morning, and uh, it would be like I was sitting over here, and if you took out that wall there, put that piece of the wall, and it, there's a door over there behind that leads into the ready room, and um, <clears throat> she would have been standing out there in a little hallway, and I'd see her come, and she'd be worshiping. you got to realize these services go two and a half hours, okay? So there's a lot of worship <clears throat> and preaching and everything else. So she'd be there. She'd be worshiping 10, 15 minutes, and then she'd go. And then, well, one of the things that us gringos had to do, we had to eat, drink a lot of water because it's hot and humid there. So I'm drinking all this water, and finally I had to excuse myself and go use the restroom. So I'd go around, and i find out, you know what she's doing? She's over there standing there worshiping, and then she has this little seat about 10 feet to her right, our left, where she sits. 
and she just directs people to the bathrooms. They had four bathrooms there, so we had four. We had we had about six, seven hundred people trying to use four bathrooms. So she's kind of directing traffic, and then guess what she does? She opens the doors for people. Here, this bathroom's ready, and if she needs to, she goes in and she just cleans up. Then every once in a while, she'd take a bucket of water and she'd throw it into the bathroom, rinse it out. Then she'd come back and worship. I thought, you're kidding me. See, you know what that reminds me? is just simply this, is that no serving ministry is too small. No serving ministry is too insignificant. Every one of us loved ones can do something for Jesus. And to see the beauty on her face as she's just worshiping, and then she's going and cleaning commodes. Reminds me, I told you I'm reading Colossians 3 every day this month. What does Colossians say at the end? Whatever you do, do it enthusiastically for the Lord. Not to man, but to Jesus. You'll see here, this next part, um, these, are, we're blessed, these are the Cuban pastors. I've got to get through this. This breaks my heart. They had, I don't know how many, but these are, all, you'll see one side and then another, uh, there's two sides of these Cuban pastors. Um, one of the things that we did at Creekside is we, um, what you do is you send gifts there. You send things there like uh, toiletries, toilet. We got to take our own toilet paper. Take your, you, you send toilet paper, razors, shaving cream, conditioner, shampoo, all of those little things, toothpaste, floss, toothbrushes, anything small that you need in the bathroom, they very seldom get or they have to wait on it. So we, we, we put $500 worth of stuff. Jim and I, we each sent $500 from our respective churches, and we just filled up suitcases and took it in. Well, we thought that was going to be whew, a big home run for these guys. Well, I mean, I mean a lot of stuff. So we, we meet with them uh, after a morning, and they're coming in. They don't know what they're going to get. Well, the people there took all of these things and took Ziploc baggies about this big and filled them up and kind of spread the stuff out and gave a little packet to each one of these pastors. You would think, you'll see here, you see him walking by shaking one of our board members' hands. You would think that they just, you know, just going to hit the lottery Christmas. And I'm just sitting there thinking, how can these poor people, how can they be so excited about a little baggie of stuff that I just take for granted. And Jim and I were sitting there talking, and we go, you know, this is, this is so sweet, but this breaking our heart. This is, this is, th these are going to be gone in two weeks. Most families share one toothbrush. It's going to be gone in a week, and we said, let's, we, we need to do something that's a game changer for these people. So we were saying, okay, the average pastor there's only making twenty dollars a month. The ones of the big churches are making thirty-seven. Let's do this. I said, Jim says, you know what? I'll give five thousand if you give five thousand. So he says, okay. So we're going to give five thousand out of the harvest. By the time we were done, in about five minutes, we talked to the other board members. We come up with twenty-one thousand dollars, and we said to the director, we said to the director, you make sure that the, 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 that the twenty to twenty-five pastors that need this the most will get this. So he's going to disperse that over the next year to these pastors to give them some freedom to be able to have food and to be able to minister to their people. 
you know, they're all dressed pretty decently, but what you don't realize is, you know, those are their, those are their good clothes. They don't get them very often. You know, most of us board members, what we did is we left just about everything we had there. Left our, we just passed around a couple of suitcases the night before we left, threw any shoes that we could. Um, so I left dress shoes and a pair of nice running Nike shoes and all my shirts and uh, just left it there. They'll clean them up. They'll pass them out. Probably go back there another time and I'll see somebody wearing my shirt. <laughs> they were nice shirts. But they're nothing. They're nothing. It's amazing. Next one you'll see is, uh, this is a house church. This is what most of our pastors deal with. They buy a house. You can buy a house there for fifteen to $20,000, our district, um, our NorCal district of Old Bible Pastors. In two weeks, we're going to challenge our youth and we're gonna, our youth pastors and our pastors to raise fifteen to $20,000 so that we can buy an emerging leader. They've got these great young guys, just young leaders that are ready to go out and pastor, but they need a place to meet. You can buy it. You can't build a church building unless you already have one. If you have one, you'll see in a minute you can build it and expand it if you have the property. But here, what you have to do is you buy a house, and you'll see on the left-hand side, that is the kind of like the garage, but they've turned it into a church. You see that cross there? It's like a garage. And you can put about 80 chairs in there. And then they set up a kind of a little mini sound system on a platform back there, and that's where they have church every week. So they call them house churches. Uh, the couple on the right are the incredible, they are the pastors of the church that we had the conference at, and they're also the, the president or directors of the Cuban churches on the right, and the ones on the left are actually the pastors of this home church. So they live on the right side, and we're talking very meager. They, they live in the right side of the house, and church is on the left side. That's 20 bucks, 20 bucks a month they live on. Go ahead and next one. Here, uh, I, was, I got to, had the privilege of speaking on Friday night. Uh, so I just went up there. I just asked them if I could take their pictures. And uh, you can't see real well, but the um, place is packed. and They're just happy. They just love Jesus and worship like crazy. And um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. I think we had six, 700 people that attended. This is their 66th annual convention. So this church, actually, the, the, the missionaries went to Cuba in 1950 for Open Bible. And now they have close to um, probably 90, 95 churches there. See the next, this is the host church. This is the outside of the place I just showed you inside. You, need, you see how, it, you see the kind of unfinished part at the top? What they did is they rebuilt this church in 2010 before their 50-year convention and celebration. So they rebuilt it because they already had the property. Now what they're doing is, is they're adding a second and a third floor because of growth. So they can, uh, if you, the, 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 the structure that they built is incredible because they, can, they can't go out, but they can go up. And uh, so they're building and it's just a wonderful uh, wonderful place. Now, like I say, you look around this, you look pictures around this church, it's pretty, a lot of poverty there. Um, here's for my uh, car aficionado friends, probably want to see that. Um, back there, cars belong to dignitaries, doctors, government workers, and taxi drivers. 
you'll see all of these cars here. You see these older cars? One of the things we realized, we didn't see any car dealerships because, if they, they, because people don't have cars there except for the dignitaries and the government workers and taxi people. And most, a high percentage of the cars are still back from the 50s and the 40s and the 30s. You know why? Because if they, don't, if they bring cars in, it's only for a certain amount of pe- for certain people. So they take care of these cars. So you see all of these old classic cars, and most of them are taxis. And most people get around by taxi or these little rickshaw, or they walk. Because there's no free trade there where they can go and buy cars. There's no place to buy them. So that's how people get around. And that's why you see Havana, you know, Cuba is actually known for all of these old cars. And you'll see the ones in Havana that they use because that's where all the tourists are. Impeccable, beautiful cars. You would bring them to our car show. The ones you see in the other towns are pretty beat up, but they're still fairly decent. But you just see this big difference between Havana and the rest of the country that we saw. Uh, just for fun, Jim Plummer's Revenge, we're sitting there. This is one of these street guys. You know, you go to San Francisco, you see the silver guys, and they do these. Well, this guy here was a pirate. So, I don't, you know, Jim was just getting a big joke out of this. I'm kind of the class clown of this group. And he says, well, Riley, I want you to go over there and uh, have him slit your throat. And uh, this is my revenge on you. So he's got this box, and you go drop a few dollars in. And so that's what that picture is. I told Jim I'd show that just for a little levity. And yeah, we did have a, a good time there. Uh, One more, uh, this is another house church. See this blue here on the left, that's the front. Uh, The right side of the window there, that's where the church is. The left side is where the home is. The The far right picture is, that's what their platform looks like. And if you went back, you would see these little rickety pews. I mean, just really rickety pews uh, that seat about 80 people in this church. And then this is their kitchen. And then if you can imagine that, they have a smaller room that's their bedroom and a smaller room that's their living room. The biggest part of it is the church. That's what they do. There's the house churches there. And this church probably runs about 75 or 80 people as well. Okay, next. So that's what we did. I'm going to let this point go. I got to get you out of here now before I run too far over. What I want to say, loved ones, is I want to say thank you for being a church. Not everybody can go. I am convinced of this. I believe this. That's what I love about our church. Everybody can give. And that's what we do with our harvest offering here. And I'm going to become, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to update you on things that we're doing here about every six months, excuse me, every six weeks, and give you some prayer points. Because I really do. I want us to begin to pray for the churches in Cuba because I believe that we can make a significant difference in that nation with what is already there and what we can do.